How many of you are spending, husbands and wives, you're spending some time together? I hope so. My wife and I got to spend some time. We were off for about a week, and I'm usually either out of the country or somewhere or at work. And so I decided that we would watch TV together and, you know, find out what she likes. And so every day she watches program, the DIY. And it was on the DIY channel. And so I watched it. And, you know, it really didn't, it's not something I would run into. I didn't really understand it. So I didn't want to ask her. So I went next door to my neighbor. I thought we got along pretty good. But I said to him, hey, what is DIY? And he looked at me and said, do it yourself and went in the house. I'm still trying to find out what this DIY stuff is and why she likes it. But we'll, we'll figure it out, all right? Y'all with me? You want me to bring Christina back out? We're going to talk about resolutions or new beginnings. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. All right, the rest of you have learned that's futile, right? Because here we are, what is this, the ninth day of the month, and most resolutions have gone by the wayside. And what what you what we sometimes uh, do is we have good intentions about these, but we go about it the, the whole wrong way. Uh, you can make a resolution every day that you want to, and chances are you're going to blow it because your resolutions depend on what you can do. Uh, you know, uh, the chatter on January the 2nd is, is I found a new diet. And by January 3rd, most people have lost that new diet simply because our lifestyle is not a lifestyle of diet. And things like that interfere with what we do and the habits that we have uh, accomplished. But I want to say to you, there are things that we need to change in our life. And we don't need to wait for a new year. Every day, we need to kind of take stock of our life. And if there are things we need to stop, we need to ask God's forgiveness and stop. And if there's things we need to start, then we need to do it. Have this new beginning. But the problem is, many people, and maybe some of you, simply say, I've tried and I've tried. I'm just not going to try anymore. Maybe it's a habit you're trying to get rid of. Maybe it's an attitude you want to get rid of. Whatever it is, so many times when you've tried and tried, you've done all the resolutions, you just say, never mind. I can't do it. But the thing is, you can. You see, in Christ, there is nothing impossible. And that's why I say that we really need to have a new beginning. Now, we're going to go into the book of Mark. I'm going to use this as a spring point because there's some points there that I want to make up. Let's look at Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. So now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread... We're only two days away. 
And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus. I love that. They've been scheming for three and a half years on how to arrest Jesus and secretly kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why was this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Let me pause there. I'm really wondering in that crowd of Pharisees and others. Pharisees are scheming, but the topic of conversation is what we could have done good with that money. And there was an instant condemnation against this woman. Okay. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want to. But you will not have me always. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to portray Jesus to them. Let's pause there a minute. Do you get the scene? Jesus has been anointed for his burial. Because if you remember the story of the crucifixion, Mary and the and, and the group of women were actually going to the grave to anoint them with spices for the grave because they took him from the cross and put him in a grave. This is pointing towards the cross. We're in the final week of Christ's life. And so he's simply saying to her, saying to the crowd, this, this woman is preparing me for what I have told you is going to come. Now, the statement that whenever any, this is mentioned, wherever the gospel is preached in the world, this woman will be mentioned. There's one other thing, that every time the gospel is mentioned, something else is mentioned. And that was Judas's trip to see the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 10, we get a little clearer view. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas's carrot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And then in Matthew 26, 20 through 25. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. The evening time was the time that Jesus would institute the Lord's Supper. The last time he would have fellowship with his disciples around a table. And while they were eating, they said, 
Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And while they were very sad, listen, they began to say to him, one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him had he not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me. Two things when the gospel is preached. Judas's betrayal and that woman who anointed him for burial. Now, what has this got to do with anything? Well, I want to kill a misconception. Nowhere in prophecy did it say Judas's chariot would betray Jesus. And yet we hang Judas out to dry thinking that here is a man who could never, ever experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our assumption. And as always, assumptions will mess you up. You need to understand that no one is out of the the way of coming to Jesus Christ. There is no one that you can point to and say, you've gone too far, you've done too bad, you cannot repent. In fact... The, the unpardonable sin that we talk, that is mentioned in the Word of God, one that can't be uh, forgiven, is simply the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the sin that cannot be pardoned because you, as a person, have rejected that opportunity. And so as I begin the message saying that many times, particularly when we get, you know, up in age, the mature, I like to that word, mature stage in life. We sometimes get to the point where we think our life is over, it's fed up, there's no sense in making any change at all. But again, that's the French word garbage or garbage. We need to understand that forgiveness is there. What it did say in the scriptures was, is one who would eat my bread and sit with me would raise his heel against me. For the proof of that, when we read the, the passages, every one of the disciples, when Jesus said, one of you here is going to betray me, every one of the disciples went to him and had a question. Is it me? They weren't sure that they weren't the ones that was going to betray him. Judas echoed those words. Judas had an opportunity to change the outcome of his life, but he took the wrong road. Instead of the road that leads to life, he followed the road that took care of the greed that he had, took care of this issue of money first, that cremated his life, we're told. And he fell because he failed to repent. 
I want to make four points. They are scripturally. I call them four truths that you need to know. The first one is that if you are a Christian, there is a change in your life. There's no such thing of receiving Christ as your Savior and going on with your life business as usual. And I know that that's being preached in a lot of pulpits. Listen, I, I watch these yahoos on YouTube, but it's not true. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us very pointedly, and I've used this over and over, and as soon as you get it into your mind, I won't use this anymore. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, which means you are that new creation. And as I've explained before, it is both instant and then it is also a journey. Instantly, in Christ, you become a new creation because Christ takes your sin and removes it and replaces it with his presence and his righteousness so that the flesh we still live in, but yet there is a new nature in it. It has come. The old has gone. By that way, the old is removed from the throne of decisions in your life. And there's a new person on the throne of your life, and that's Jesus Christ. The new is here. Okay? That is a fact of Scripture. Write that down in your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Secondly, not everyone has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about the world particularly. I'm talking about people in the church. You see, church member is not a solution to a need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, if you, there are people who attach themselves to a church uh, for a number of reasons, but sooner or later they drift away because there's not anything there for them. Becoming a part of the body of Christ is something you seek to do because you want to be around like-minded, encouraging people. Third, as a Christian, complete renewal is not here yet. Years and years ago, as a young pastor, in fact, I was an associate pastor, and I had a lady that led music. And when it came testimony time, she would make this testimony. She thanks God. She would say, I thank God I have attained perfection. And everybody would go, ooh and ah, except the people that knew her. You see, perfection is not what our call is for. There was only one person who was perfect. That's Jesus Christ. Our call is to grow in grace of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our call from God when in a relationship with Jesus is to learn how to be what we have become, that new creation. And then when we stand before God, we will stand before him fully in maturity. But while we live on this earth, no matter how young or old you are, your life is a journey in Christ 
taking off the old and putting on the new. Number four, Christians can plant bad seeds, whether it be words or deeds or attitudes. You know, it's an attitude that leads you on the path to sin. It's a wrong attitude will lead you to the deeds. Now, why do I mention this? Because you are what you have planted in your mind. You become the seed. You become the garden of what you have planted. In Galatians 6, 7, and 8, we find these, these words. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh he will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. Spirit reaping and sowing all through life. You know, there are seven uh, uh, laws of the harvest. You, you've probably heard messages on them. They kind of vary from where you look at. But basically, you reap only what you have sown. If you put a pumpkin seed in the ground, don't go out there looking for carrots. Okay? That's my tip for 24. All right? Go looking for pumpkin. Uh, you will reap in a different season. My little granddaughter, when she was, oh, about three, four years old, in a place that we lived, I made her a plot for flowers. And she would plant them in a day. She'd spend all day carefully planting her seeds. And the next day when she came to the house, she didn't speak to my wife or myself. She ran right out the door, squatted down and looked and said, Pops, where are my flowers? You see... You may think you're getting away with stuff. Oh, the preacher said you reap what you sow. I sowed that seed a long time ago. Nothing's happening. Guess what? It will. Because what you sow, you will always reap. You're going to reap more than you sow. Now, that's good if you're planting vegetables, right? But that's not so good if you're planting the things of destruction, we reap into proportion of what we sow. And we reap the whole harvest of God only if we persevere. You see, that's what we're called to persevere. You need to understand evil can come into your harvest all by itself. Next, you can't do anything about what you harvested in 23. Okay? Nothing. That's over. It's gone. It's 24. It's in the now. When we sow, we can expect the same results positively or negatively. Now, have I got you confused where we're going? I hope not. Listen, it's a brand new year. It's nine days in, but that's okay. Everybody can have a fresh start. Now, let me make something very clear to you. Sometimes when I say, or a person says, you can have a fresh start, we automatically believe that maybe we have messed up. Maybe there's sin in our life. Maybe we have a wrong attitude. Maybe maybe there's something wrong. 
But did you know that if you evaluate that life every day, the very opposite can be true. Are you where you want to be in that relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, sometimes we're just settlers. We, we settle down where we are. We got saved. We got baptized. We're part of a great church. We, we go to church. And so that's where we're going to float. But did you know that when you really explore the Word of God, there is a lifelong friend that works with you, that walks with you, that talks with you, that encourages you. You will never get to the point when you have established of a relationship where it seems that Christ literally walks with you every day and speaks to you every day. There is a joy because in this life, storms come. And in this life, disappointments come. Over the, in fact, on Christmas Day, my brother-in-law, 83 years old, went home to be with the Lord. For 18 years, he had fought cancer. It had finally got down to where it was covering his body. He couldn't move out of a chair. When he went home to be with the Lord, his son said this, What a great present for my daddy today. He's home with Jesus. And you see, that is the reason Jesus wrote through a man in the psalm, Blessed in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. You see, things do get better. The more we surrender, the more we take off, the less obstacles we put in our life in that one-on-one, being one with Jesus Christ. This is a new year. It's time to start. Well, I wrote down five things. To encourage you. How do you have a fresh start? Well, it's in prayer. And a good prayer you find in Psalms 51.10. David penned this prayer after he had sinned with Bathsheba, had killed her husband. Nathan the prophet pointed it out that he was the one who was guilty of this proverb he had given him. And the Psalm 51 is the repentant psalm that David penned, crying out to God. And the first thing he prayed was, Oh God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. You see, when we sin and turn and do things and have attitudes and thoughts and words in our life that is sin, the Spirit of God does not leave us. The Spirit is of God is there. And the Spirit of God that is in us when we is literally grieving over the sin in our life because that Spirit knows exactly what we're missing. And so that spirit, and from that point on, the battle of the flesh and the spirit begins to torment people, just like it tormented David, until on his knees he cried out in repentance. 
And so you get on your knees or you sit in a chair. You talk honestly to God. I need a clean heart. And I need the Spirit of God renewed in me. Secondly, you need to have faith that what you ask God to do, He's going to do. In a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament from the, excuse me, the book of Zechariah, the, 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 why the Scripture was written was this. They had gone back and began to build or rebuild the temple after they had been set free by Cyrus from captivity. But the temple that they built was small. The walls that Nehemiah had built around the city were small. And the scriptures recorded that some of the older people in exile that had seen the beauty and majesty of that first temple literally cried when they saw the little bitty thing. Here's what Zechariah recorded. Do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You know, so many times we think there are things that are little have no meaning in life. But I just remind you, in fact, in this service, don't rush out because I have a present for you. I'm going to give you a package of seeds, wildflowers. You wouldn't think I'd give you tame flowers, would you? These are wildflowers, and they're beautiful. But the seeds are small. And as you know, small seeds produces big product. Don't despise what God loves. And when he looks at his children and hears them crying out, God, there's this small thing in my life. Because we all know small things grow. And that's why I've told people, everything that grows is not necessarily good. So you may think you just got a small problem. It's kind of like that parable, uh, you, you see the log in your neighbor's eye and you don't see the small speck in yours. Jesus said, take care of the speck. Then that log will never appear. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise one step of a time in you changing the things that you say, the things that you watch, the things that you enjoy. Don't despise that small step because God loves it. Then you got God's promise. I am sure that God who began a work in you will complete it on the day Jesus comes back. Do you believe that passage of Scripture? You know, watching for a long time and being a person who lives in this world, the small thing I have to start to do because it grows large is that I really, I don't verbally doubt what God can do, but I don't live like I believe that God can do it. And you may not verbally say it, but if you live, like if you dispute this by saying, oh well, if I try, 
ask God for a new beginning, it just won't happen. Yes, it will. Because it is God who is at work in you. That's the difference between a resolution and a new beginning from God. You are responsible for your revolution, your willpower, the things, how you're able to bring it to pass. But when you commit in God, create in me a clean heart, renew a steadfast in me, take this from me, renew my vision. When you begin to ask God, he begins to do what you have asked him to do. You have God's assurance to him who is able to do, and I love this word, immeasurably more. In other words, you can't measure the more that God can do with what you ask or imagine why, according to the power, that spirit that is at work in us throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Those are the promises of the word of God. And I want to challenge you this morning exactly like I have challenged myself. Either believe it or just chunk your Bible away. Because if you don't believe it, if you don't believe it, don't be, continue to reap God's wrath on you. What do you What do you mean, preacher? The more you know, the more you're responsible for. Now, don't let that scare you off. Because the more you know, the more blessed life that you live, the less fear in your life, and the most joy in your life. So it simply is, do you believe what God has said in his word? And you grab it and you say, with the help and the grace of God, I'm going to live it. I had this person ask me a question. Are you afraid of the new year? You know, are are you afraid what's coming? And, And I think the reason is they knew, you know, last November or December I had a heart attack. And so they said, are you afraid about what's going to happen in 24? I said, no. And I'll be honest with you, this wasn't original with me. I had just read this. So I said to them, it's in 24, it's going to be filled with flowers. Why? Because I'm going to plant flowers. It's going to be a happy time. Why is it going to be a happy time? Because I'm going to be happy It's going to be a forgiving time. Why? Because I'm going to be forgiving. And it's going to be a loving time because I'm going to love. The question I ask you today is this. What are you planning in your life? Is it things that build up? Or is it things, though it may be little, will build into a separation between you and the joy of the Lord. Listen, folks, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you know that you need this Savior, when you cry out to God, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner, he hears you. And he gives you that new life in Christ. Listen, 
I don't really care what kind of super saint you think you are. Okay? We're all fallible people. You know why I know that? If we weren't, God wouldn't have anything to work with, would he? If you want a 24, that'll be the best year of your life every day. You plant what you want. In fact, this little pack of seeds says this. Be the change you want to see in this world. Try it. Fathers, we come to you today. We thank you, Lord, that you will give us the desires of our heart. I pray that the desire of our heart is that we may know you more. That we may grow closer to you. Maybe the desire of our heart is to know you as our personal Savior. One who prepares the way for us. Today, Lord, lead us, encourage us, convict us. That God, as you see us, we can see ourselves. And Lord, do business as we cry out to you. Dear God, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.